Hello, LifePoint. Welcome to week two of LifePoint's online format. Thank you to everybody who's been uh, joining in the discussions and sharing all of this uh, online and sharing these messages across the net. Uh, last week, it was amazing. I, mean, I said that the church was made for times like this, and boy, do we really see some amazing things that happened. And we're hearing some of, of some amazing stories of how God is using this extraordinary time to show people that he is real, he is here, and he is able. And so let's just rejoice in that this morning. Many of us uh, are also probably beginning to struggle with a little bit of depression and a little bit of cabin fever, <laughs> starting to get on each other's nerves a little bit and a little bit of close quarters and all that good stuff. And some of us may also be out of work and uh, out of supplies and Definitely running out of patience, I would say, for most of us. And so please let me pray for us as we face this challenging time. God knew that the coronavirus was going to come. God knew that it was going to hit the planet. And as much as we may be suffering, there are many ways that God can use this time to grow us in ways that he couldn't before when we had a society filled with a thousand distractions. And so... You know, and being filled with a thousand distractions, let's face it, we had no time to think about God. Anytime something big happened to God's people in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it was always a time to stop, a time to refocus, and a time to get back on track in our relationship and in our walk with God. So I hope that this time will be the same. Yes, we're under quarantine. Yes, we're, we're you know, sheltering in place. And yes, this seems like we're just stopped, like kind of in exile as we're trying to protect ourselves from this disease. But remember, this is a time, you can see it many times throughout the Bible, when God stopped society, one of the benefits of it was that we were able to stop, refocus, and get back on track with God. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray, Lord, for all of those who are affected by the coronavirus. God, we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that they would be comforted, that we would know you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We ask that the grace and mercy and peace of Jesus be with us. Everybody who's watching this on the internet, I pray right now you would flood their home, their computer space, wherever they're at, with the grace, the peace, and the mercy of God. Lord, all of that inner conflict, all that inner angst would just be filled with peace right now. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a people filled with distractions, me included. For some of us, it's work. I know that's probably one of mine. And for some of us, it's sports. Go Niners. For some of us, it's music. Another one of mine. And uh, for some of us, it's us. It's the overfocus on our pleasures, on our feelings, and our own rights. And we often take our eyes off of the long-searching things in life, or the long-reaching things in life. And, and we pull our focus down to short-term pleasures and short-term relief. But I've often found that life, it's often about what you're looking at and what you see. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that, because I don't mean just physically looking at, but it's where you have your focus. It's, it's what you, we use the word focus. Focus is kind of zeroing in on what we're looking at. There's a whole bunch of things in the pictures, but we focus on just this one spot. And if we don't take our focus off of that, 
especially when it applies to our faith, we can find that our focus is one of the biggest aspects in determining whether or not we'll have a blessed, joy-filled life or a life filled with dread and often a lot of fear. While standing in Orlando, Florida in the 1960s, one of Walt Disney's business partners, when Walt Disney said, what do you see? And he replied, well, all I see here is a, a wasteland slump, swamp, financial ruin, and a place that nobody's going to want to come to. This isn't the Florida beaches. This is the middle of Florida humidity, and I, I just don't see anything. All, all I can see is negative here. Walt Disney said, man, that's not what I see. I see castles. I see families coming together. I see the greatest amusement park on earth being built on this property. One man was distracted by fears. All he could see was the negative, a distraction that sometimes we can take to our dying breath. And, and one man was focused on faith. And he never let that drive them to what that swamp could have been believing in what he could not see, and having the confidence to carry it out. Believe it or not, we play out the very same scenario in our lives each and every day. One man sees a marriage that will never be fixed, and another man sees an opportunity for his marriage to grow to depths and levels that, that it never could without the deep, deep crisis that was happening in that moment. One man sees a pink slip, as a loss of a job, while another man sees that God is something better for him because he's been faithful and he's trusting in God. One man sees a future filled with fear and the need to overstock his home and hoard, and while another man sees an opportunity to destroy fear by helping others out in need. So when you look at life, what do you see? Do you see a whole world to be afraid of? Or do you see a God to have faith in and a world with which to exercise that faith each and every day on the canvas of God's planet. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 to 3 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. This virus, it's daring us to take our eyes off Jesus. It's daring us to ask who is God. This virus is challenging us to take our eyes off God and focus on all of the fearful distractions. And I know that there are many and many symptoms that come with it. The symptoms are not necessarily sneezing and coughing and fever like the actual coronavirus. The symptoms of taking our focus off of God is often anxiety, worry, grumpiness, losing our temper, being quick to react, quick to anger, quick to say things that, that just don't need to be said. When we keep Jesus as the highest and first thing that filters through our mind, there is nothing that will happen to us where we won't be able to say, okay, God, what are you doing? Okay, Jesus, how am I going to grow here? God, how are you growing me here? How are you strengthening me? How is this resistance building spiritual muscles inside? Okay, Jesus, what limitation are you priming me to overcome? Okay, Jesus, what mountain is going to fall before me this time? 
God, what relationship is going to be repaired? What need is going to be met? What fruit of the Spirit are you producing me in me in this? And what kind of toughness and courage and patience are you building in me? It's also what happens when you keep your eye on Jesus. When we focus on our faith, God infects us with a peace for his faith. To be at, to be at peace with God's pace in our lives. That's the definition of patience. And it's such a blessing to be at peace with God's pace. Distractions make us impatient. Faith, which is a focusing on who Jesus is and what Jesus does, restores that patience, restores our ability to be at peace with God's pace. Distraction diverts our focus away from what we should be looking at or who we should be looking to. In our story today, Peter begins to walk on water. And as he's focused on Jesus, looking at him without distractions, he could have walked across the Pacific Ocean if he just kept his eyes on Jesus. He was distracted by the fearful storm, however, and he began to sink into the water. You see, faith equals focus. Focusing on God. Let's see how this works. If you focus on your fears, it kind of looks like something like this. I have to go to work because if I don't go to work, I will lose my job. If I lose my job, I will lose my house. If I lose my house, I will be unsafe on the streets. And if I am unsafe on the streets, something terrible will happen to me and there will be doom in my future. Therefore, I will go to work. Focusing on faith in Christ looks like something like this. I have to go to work because God has placed me here as a light in this world to fulfill his mission. God will use this job to provide a house where I can entertain people for dinner. God will use this house so I can grow a family that honors God. God will use this house so that I can provide shelter for a friend or a family member who's in need. Or God will use this house where I can have a place of retreat where I can go and pray and sing. Therefore, I will go to work so that God can provide for me and I can provide for others with this house. See the difference? One is focused on the negative that happens if something isn't done. And one is focused on how God blesses us when we rise up in faith and do the things that he's called us to do. Noah built an ark, but he was focused on God's command. Abraham left home and walked a thousand miles, but he was focused on God's promise. Moses confronted the king of Egypt, the most powerful man of his day. Moses was focused on God's power. Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho, but he was focused on God's victory. David defeated a 9 to 13 foot Goliath, but he was focused on God's deliverance. Elijah faced down the prophets of Baal, but he was focused on God's message. Daniel refused to pray only to the emperor. He prayed, in fact, he didn't pray to the emperor, he prayed to God, but he was focused on God's honor. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls and he was focused on God's restoration. Some of you, you go to a job you hate, but you are focused on God's promise. Some of you, you are in a marriage that you're struggling with, but you are focused on God's restoration. Some of you are restraining right now, even right now, into going into full-blown depression. 
or having low self-esteem. But you're focused on God's people. You're serving them each and every day. You see, look at the things you do in life and they will determine your focus and your focus will betray your motives. And there are only two primary motives, the love of God or the fear of the world. Either the love of God is driving you and your focus is your faith or the fear of the world is driving you and your focus is the limited power that you have as a human being. If you're unwilling to take a chance, you can never discover what faith is truly about. Faith involves risk, yes. Love involves risk, yes. But if you have to have all the answers before you do something, if you're afraid to take a step because you want to make sure everything is going to work out to your advantage and you want to have that guarantee, I'll tell you this right now, faith, will always be a mystery to you, always something one step ahead of you, never something you can grab a hold on and really experience. Truett Cathy was the founder of the restaurant Chick-fil-A. We have one in Bakersfield. It always seems to be crowded. Truett Cathy was born in the 1920s, and he grew up during the Great Depression in the 1930s, and his family was poor, and the, the bull weevils came and wiped out their farm, and so they had their little two-room house they turned it into a boarding house and there they were able to survive but they didn't just survive off running a boarding house the Kathy family relied on their faith in God to get them through the hard times well in 1946 Kathy was actually able to scrape together enough money to open up a little restaurant it was just a hamburger grill and a sandwich place and it was somewhat prosperous, but in 1967, Kathy had the opportunity to open up the first restaurant in, an, in a mall that was being built in Atlanta. And he called it Chick-fil-A. Now, it's very interesting because Truett Kathy made a decision that every business manager in the world thought would ruin him. First, he was not going to be open on Sundays. This was during the 1960s and 70s when even the fast food restaurants, everything was starting to stay open on Sundays so that they get one more day to earn the almighty dollar. But Truett Cathy said, no, Sundays is for church. We're staying closed on Sundays. The second thing he did was he said, no matter how wealthy I get, I'm going to continue to teach my Sunday school. And the third thing he said is, we are going to give a percentage back to the community. For 53 years, Chick-fil-A and Truett Cathy kept that promise. He stayed closed on Sunday so he could go to church. He taught Sunday school at his church, and he gave back to the community. 53 years later, Chick-fil-A is the most popular fast food restaurant behind second to McDonald's. Cathy once said, the, most, the more difficult our obedience, listen to this, the more difficult our obedience, the greater our reward. And while Mr. Kathy has sold more chicken sandwiches than most can comprehend, the greatest paradox is that he did it without ever being opened on Sunday. Every year, Kathy had 52 days less a year to keep up with the competition. And he's in number two. I'd say that's pretty good. How did he do it? He kept his faith in God, his faith in Christ, as his focus. Of all the boat stories in the New Testament, and that's the series we're in with Jesus in the boat, the one that electrifies our faith is Peter walking on water. In Matthew 14, 22 to 33, reads like this. 
Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up by the mountainside by himself to pray. Well, so far, so good. As disciples began to sail across the lake, however, an enormous storm blows up. Again, what is Jesus with these storms? An enormous storm blows in and and the disciples are struggling against the wind and the rain. This time they're not so much sinking as, as they are just struggling against the wind and the rain. At least that's how it seems to be to me. And so it's 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And now remember, they were already weary and exhausted from a busy day. And now they're fighting a storm all night. Have you ever had that happen? You're already weary and exhausted from a busy day. And then you get in a fight that night. Or something, you get bad news that night and you can't sleep. You were already tired before, now you can't sleep and you are just beginning to go crazy mad. And this is what's happening to the disciples. They are absolutely exhausted after a day of ministry and now this horrible storm in life has crept up. And isn't that always how it is? A A life storm seems to hit when you're most tired in life. Then Jesus comes. Sometimes the greater the storm, the more tired you are, the greater the miracle. In Matthew 14, 25, it keeps going. It says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. He said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They were wrong, but it wasn't a bad guess. I mean, after all, it's not every day that you see someone taking a midnight stroll across the lake in the middle of the night. (laughs) I mean, a lot of us would have probably thought the same thing. I know I would have. I can't say my first thought would have been, oh, here comes Jesus. Oh, yeah, and he's walking on water. That's just a perfectly normal thing to do. And that's, a you know, how's it going, Jesus? Hey, can you lend a hand? I mean, no, we would have been freaking out too. Like, what in the world? Is that a ghost? Who walks on water? Well, if you're the God of the water, you walk on water. And so Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now it gets good. Peter wants to make sure nobody spiked a punch. So he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. He's thinking, if it's, they're, they're just all mass hallucinating, this is just going to end right here and there. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, come on out. I was hoping you'd ask. And so Peter got out, out of the boat. And the most amazing thing, Peter walked on the water. Jesus isn't holding his hand at this point. He walked on the water. And he began walking toward Jesus. Why did Jesus walk on the water? Jesus was walking on the water because he was showing that the same God who parted the Red Sea during the Exodus, that was him. And Jesus will part the Red Seas for us today. He is above our oceans. He's above our seas. He's above our lakes. And he has not submitted to them. In the Gospels, Jesus linked himself with the God who, in the Old Testament, miraculously delivered his people again and again and again and again through seas, Fires, famines, and disease. Diseases like coronavirus. The point is this. As Peter was focused on Jesus, 
He walked on the dangerous waters instead of sinking under them. Listen to this for your life. As we focus on Jesus, the waters are still there. The danger is still there. We still got to go through it, but we're walking on it rather than sinking under it as we keep our focus on Jesus because we are focusing on our faith, not our fear. The moment he focused on the dangerous waters, he began to sink. Focus on God and walk on your problems. They're still your problems, but you're walking on them, not sinking under them. Focus on fear and you will begin to sink. It's only a matter of time. If you look at your discussion sheet, you want to flip that over and you can look right now, you'll see that I've got four points to fill in. And uh, what I like to say is, as you write in these four points, apply them for yourself. What situation are you in right now? What situation are we all in right now where God is calling us, don't take your eyes off me. Not only can I get you through this, whether it's coronavirus or a relationship or a health report or a financial burden or whatever, God's saying, stay focused on me and let's walk on it together rather than have you sink under it. Number one, faith equals focus on Jesus, not the storm. The wind and the waves are always there. But our faith, our faith is often revealed in the midst of the storm. In the midst of the storm. It's not when everything's going good and nice. Oh, I've got such great faith. No, great faith is revealed in the midst of the storm. Just like great talent, great athletic ability, great whatever is revealed during a time of testing, not a time of resting. Everything goes fine for Peter until he begins to notice the storm all around him and the waves beneath him. Remember, the storm never stopped. During all this commotion, the rain has been coming down in sheets while Peter is walking on water. Behind him, this little fishing boat is bobbing all around with a bunch of scared fishermen. Matthew tells us that when Peter saw the wind, see, he was looking at Jesus, and then he saw the wind. How do you see the wind? Well, he saw the wind affecting the waves. He became afraid. But the wind was there all along. The storm had been raging for hours. It's, it's not like it let up just because Jesus was walking on the water. According to verse 32, in fact, the wind didn't die down until after Jesus and Peter got back in the boat. What happened to Peter it can happen to any of us. I know it happens to me. For a brief moment, we forget about God, forget about our faith, forget all about Jesus. Forget who he is and what he can do. For a brief moment, all we can see is the waves. And this is what happens to Peter. Peter says, wait a minute, I'm a fisherman. Fishermen go on the water in boats. I belong in the boat. He looks down at his feet. He sees nothing but the waves underneath. And his mind comes to a quick conclusion. I'm not supposed to be walking on water. People don't walk on water. This is impossible. And he begins to sink. Now, obviously, he begins to slowly sink. Because I think if he went straight down, there wouldn't have been hands to grab. Or Jesus was just a quick catch. Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, when he lost his concentration on Jesus, he began to sink. Oh, could that be said for so many of us, including, including myself, at times when those wavy storms come in. Number two. Faith equals focused prayer, not babbling. I want you to know something. 
as he goes down into the water, Peter isn't saying, Oh Lord, God of the heavens, Almighty God, creator of all the earth, we beseech thee right now that you would extend your hand and reach out because I just love you, Lord. You're just amazing. You're just the king of the earth. You're just this and you're just... No, no, no. As he's sinking, Peter says, Lord, save me! And sometimes you might be in a place where you just need to shout, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. You go up to the top of the mountain, you want to pray this beautiful prayer and all the words you can get out is Jesus. Sometimes if those are the only words you got, believe me, those are the only words you need. Peter might not have got out a bunch of words, but you know when you're sinking, you don't have time to pray a long prayer. If you aren't quick about it, you're going to drown. And for some of you, for some of us, me included, if we don't pray quickly and we don't pray specifically, we're going to be sinking and drowning under the weights and pressures of life. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus may let you learn the lesson, but he'll catch you before the lesson crushes you. And his words to Peter are very important. He says, Peter, you have little faith. Why, Why did you doubt? Which leads me to point number three. Faith equals focus on God in any amount. You see, this is not a story about Thomas walking on the water because Thomas stayed in the boat. This is not a story about Matthew walking on the water because Matthew stayed in the boat. This is not a story about James walking on the water because James stayed in the boat. Those three are no faith. Peter, he just had a little faith. And what Jesus is trying to say is, remember, Peter, a little faith is a whole lot better than no faith, but let's see if we can grow that faith. Because if we can grow that faith, like I said before, you'll be walking across the Pacific Ocean. And that leads me to my final point. Faith equals focused trust, not timid doubts. Jesus did not rebuke Peter for attempting too much. It's important you hear that. Let me say that again. Jesus did not rebuke Peter for attempting too much. He rebuked him for trusting too little. Make that distinction. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not saying, you know, Peter, what are you doing? You should have stayed in the boat. If you'd have stayed in the boat, I wouldn't have had to rescue you. Jesus was not saying that. Jesus was proud of Peter. Yes, you got out of the boat. Look, Peter, you walked on water. Look what your faith can, look where your faith can take you. He never rebuked Peter for attempting too much. Only for trusting too little. He didn't rebuke Peter for getting out of the boat. He rebuked him for taking his eyes off Jesus placing his faith in the waves or, or, or placing his fear in the waves, I should say. On the contrary, Jesus is saying, Peter, keep your eyes on me and you'll walk on these waves and blow past this wind like there's no tomorrow. When you take a step of faith, Jesus doesn't rebuke the step, only the wavering trust. So I ask you one more time, what and who are you looking at during this storm? Is it God who causes us to walk on water or is it the raging seas beckoning us to sink?
I hope with all my heart that you will turn and call on the Lord Jesus Christ during this trying hour. He will save you. He will pull you up out of whatever dark waters you may be sinking into. And he'll get back into the boat with you. And that's maybe the best part of the story. Jesus didn't just say, all right, Peter, get back in the boat. I guess I'll be walking on water while you row. Jesus said, all right, Peter. I, 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 this was for the lesson. Now that the lesson is over, let's get back in the boat together and keep going on. Peter learned the lesson. He ended up becoming a man of great faith. And I pray that during this trying time, we would not forget the church was made for this because we know what to look at. We look at our faith. We look at our, our heritage, our history, our traditions. We look at all the great people who have come before us. They walked on their problems rather than getting sunk under them. So let's follow in the great chorus of voices that have gone before us. And we will say this time it will not sink us. In fact, this is the church's finest hour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to keep our faith in Jesus. And God, for all those out there listening who do not have a relationship with Jesus, who have not made you their Lord or their Savior, that who have not asked for your crucifixion on the cross to forgive their sins or your Holy Spirit to be the guarantee of their hope of heaven, then I pray right now during this time they could get on their knees and say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I confess my sins to you. I confess my faith. I make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to fill me with your Spirit. If you haven't prayed that ever, I hope you sure do. Jesus, he'll be the best friend you ever have. When you start sinking under the ways of life, not only will he pull you up, but he'll get back in the boat with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. See you next week, next time, as we talk about the beginnings of Easter and Jesus' triumphal entry into the town that would reject him. Take care.